Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. German farmers blocked streets in several major cities this month to protest the abolition of agricultural subsidies. The German government attempts to plug loopholes in its finances. What has supported Europe's largest economy? Will that also impact its foreign policies? Meanwhile, Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz recently voiced concern over the rise of the far right in his country, which has triggered nationwide counter-rallies. What has fueled the rapid growth of extreme right ideology in Germany? Joining me today are Helga Zabla-Rusch, founder and president of the Schiller Institute, Professor Ian Bag from the London School of Economics and Political Science, and Fraser Cameron, senior advisor at the European Policy Center in Brussels. Welcome to Dialogue. So, Ian, I will start with you. Uh, you know, there's a talk of the comeback, uh, the phrase, you know, the sick man of Europe, uh, talking about the German economy or stagnation. Uh, what do you think are the major problems facing the biggest European economy right now? It's a long list. The first is that uh, Germany was highly dependent on imported gas coming from Russia. And its transition away from that has raised the cost of energy for many German producers, particularly of, uh, of uh, heavy manufacturing. Second, German public finances are in difficulty. Germany has had over the previous decade a quite strong record in its public finances of reducing its public debt. But after COVID and uh, the arrival of the new government, that has gone into difficulty because the growth in the economy has slowed partly as a result of the energy crisis. And that has made it far more difficult to meet the, the legal requirements, what's known in German as the, the black zero, the Schwarze Null, which is to have a, a no deficit in the public finances as a way of bringing down debt. And to repair that, you've seen the efforts by the government to do things like uh, try to reduce agricultural subsidies, particularly for the cost of fuel. Result, the German farming uh, interests blockading the center of Berlin to, to object to this. So it's a, it's a combination of things which is, is going wrong at, at the wrong time. Now, if to call Germany the sick man of Europe again is maybe an exaggeration. Germany is going through a significant <coughs> transition and that's at the root of the, all the problems. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Fraser, uh, I wonder, you know, how do you characterize the problem, the challenges, both short-term and probably long-term? Of course, we know that uh, Germany is not the only European country suffering from, uh, say, the decouple, uh, decoupling from Russia because of the Ukraine issue there. And of course, it has some, seems like, a, you know, some commonality with other countries in terms of challenges, but also it has some probably unique challenges, uh, unique to, to this country. Well, in addition to what uh, Ian said there, I would add that, you know, the global situation has not been favorable to Germany. I mean, the downside in the global economy in general, China in particular, you know, Germany was the biggest, so this is the biggest exporter to China. And so the downturn in China has affected the German economy as well. Um, plus, I think the there's been a policy dispute running through this government. It's three very disparate parties. The Social Democrats, uh, the Greens with their agenda, which they've had to sort of revise quite dramatically, and the more liberal uh, FDP party. So holding that coalition together has been very difficult for Chancellor Schultz. 
But I also agree with Ian's summation at the end. I mean, Germany, to describe Germany as a sick man of Europe is an exaggeration. German economy has always been very strong. And I'm pretty confident about whether the current difficulties and emerge stronger in the medium term. Yeah, uh, Fraser, a follow-up, you know, what uh, is the government doing, you know, to uh, respond or to meet those challenges, for example, the energy uh, issue? I think it's, you know, like, uh, like other European countries, you do see the prices are coming down in terms of fuel. And, uh, you know, people also talk about uh, other, like, uh, you know, the lack of investment in infrastructure or the uh, high corporate tax uh, rates, etc., or digital infrastructure. <coughs> Uh, what is the government doing you know, to meet probably the need or expectations of the people? <clears throat> They're having to revise their policies, particularly on climate change. I mean, this was the talisman policy of the Greens, but accepted by the whole government and accelerated by the Russian crisis. But the reality is, given the cost of living, the increase in fuel for farmers, etc., they've had to roll back. So they're talking now of prolonging the life of um, the nuclear industry, and they're talking about sort of adjusting climate change goals, you know, to meet the sort of requirements of farmers and others, and also the domestic heating costs. So I think it's a very sort of pragmatic uh, turn of events in the coalition, recognizing that the, the goals which they all signed up to are simply not feasible in the short to medium term. So they haven't given them up. They've simply said it's going to take a longer time to achieve this transition. In addition, of course, they have to do more to attract foreign investment. And the current climate in Germany with the rise of the far right is worrying because the head of the Deutsche Bank yesterday just gave a warning saying that the rise of the far right was not conducive to foreign investment. So this is a worry as well. Mm -hmm. uh, speak of a foreign investment, uh, uh, so Ian, uh, of course, you know, there's, uh, or, or at least, you know, there was probably the talk of a deindustrialization uh, because of the higher price uh, uh, energies and also, um, you know, attractive policies, for example, in North America uh, for investment in the renewable energy sector. Uh, so how does Germany, you know, uh, fare in that sector? Germany is in difficulty partly because of the very strong policy implemented in the US uh, under the heading of the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a ridiculous heading, which really means subsidies for green industries. And that's attracting capital across to the other side of the Atlantic. Germany is not alone in suffering from it, but be because Germany has a relatively bigger and more advanced manufacturing sector, if a company decides I will go to the, uh, South Carolina rather than Bavaria, then that makes a big impact on Germany, bigger impact on, on other countries which are relatively smaller manufacturing sectors. In addition, I think it's fair to say that Germany has been rather slow on the digital transition. It's well known that Germany has a weak infrastructure in digital, that it's been slow to develop some of the, the new policies, and there it's facing competition from Central and Eastern Europe. If you take the example of Estonia, a very small country, but Estonia has, has very advanced digitalization, which Germany has failed to catch up with. So it's this kind of drip, drip process of things being taken away from Germany that it's used to, like ports to China, like its uh, strength of its uh, small and medium-sized companies known as the, the Mittelstand, and things that Germany relied on in the past, all being challenged simultaneously. Well, 
uh, the slow uh, progress uh, in terms of a digital economy, uh, Ian, what are the factors you know, leading to the slow uh, probably uh, move you know, from the government or from the society in terms of uh, uh, achieving digitalization, uh, you know, digital infrastructure? I would identify two. One is a degree of complacency. We, we're all right in Germany from, say, five or ten years ago, and we don't need to be making a big effort to do this. And suddenly it catches up with you because the complacency is, is shattered when you realize competitors are doing different things. But Germany is also suffering from what I said at the beginning. This, The effect of this transition to a new energy regime has been very rapid. And that has been undermining confidence in investing in Germany, which means that if you look at some of the bigger companies, they're, they're not rushing to invest in Germany. And you see this in the digital field where not just Germany, but the whole of Europe lags in its, uh, its uh, numbers of digital-based uh, companies. In the top 20 digital uh, companies, you don't see any European companies. And even the biggest of the German ones, SAP and Deutsche Telekom, are in the, 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 set, the third decile of these <coughs> rankings. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Helga, uh, you know, welcome to join us. So, you know, if you look at the protests, of course, it's not only the German farmers, but also the railway staff, uh, you know, lorry drivers. They also have their own protest against the government and the policies, this and that. What uh, you know? What is the if, if there's anything common? Uh, what is uh, the thing? You know, what is the factor that to make them unhappy? I mean, they choose to go to the streets to protest the government. Hello. Can Hello, you hear Helga. Me? Yeah. Go ahead, please. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead, please. Can you hear me? Oh, it seems there's uh, there's uh, can you there's a tech issue. Uh, let's turn. Let me turn to uh, Fraser. Uh, Fraser, it's, uh, it's like it seems that unhappiness, you know, it's uh, it comes from not only the one sector, focus on the farmers. That's understandable because you know they are concerned with the the uh, reduction of their subsidies, so they are not happy. What about these, you know, lorry drivers, you know, railway workers for there? Well, it's mainly fuel costs. I mean, fuel costs have gone up for. Um, truckers as well as farmers and in addition you know the farmers um, are suffering from what they consider cheap imports from Ukraine which has also led to protests in Poland and elsewhere I mean this is a, a broader program in the last couple of weeks we've seen widespread demonstrations of farmers in France blocking Paris in Belgium Spain other countries and of course it's having knock-on consequences because the president Macron has now written to President von der Leyen saying, look, we can't really go ahead with this big trade deal with South America, with Mercosur. You've got to stop it because politically it's so difficult for me. So the internal fuel cost rises, which of various causes, but particularly, you know, moving away from Russia, have had this knock-on effect on agriculture, on other sectors of the economy, leading to higher inflation. And of course, that's always a real problem for German governments. They do not want to see a return to any era of high inflation. Yeah, Fraser, speak of the inflation. Uh, you know, the news is, uh, you know, from the central bank is that, you know, it seems like they are able or they is under control. Uh, you know, people are even talking about, uh, you know, uh, in reducing, you know, in decrease the interest rates. Uh, so can we say it's not that big a threat anymore to German economy as well as to the European uh, countries there? Ian? Yeah, uh, in, 
Inflation is creeping downwards, but the Europe, European Central Bank, having been late to raise interest rates to counter inflation, is also hesitating about reducing interest rates until they're certain that inflation is under control. And what the most important consequence of this is that if you look at several European economies, they're flatlining. There's all kinds of discussion about whether Germany is or is not in recession, but it's a false discussion because the simple fact is German growth is zero. It may be zero minus a, percentage, a tenth of a percentage point or maybe plus a tenth of a percentage point. But that means that the cost, because the cost of living is still rising, German workers and German households are suffering a reduction in real spending power because of this effect of uh, higher energy prices. And they don't benefit from high energy prices. Others do. Germany imports, for example, electricity from France, who generate it through nuclear. French producers win, German consumers lose. And it's this sense across many sectors of my standard of living is being reduced that is provoking many of these protests, whether it's truck drivers, farmers or others. Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. So it's a, in a sense, it's a cost of uh, living crisis. You know, we talked about uh, in some European countries. Uh, is that a continuation of that, or is it, is it getting worse? Is it getting you know better? Well, it's going to depend on the trend of wages. The European Central Bank will be looking at what's happening with wages, and if it sees wages starting to accelerate above the rate of inflation, the central bank will be worried that that entrenches inflation by having a second round effect. So that's why we're sort of waiting to see whether the, the central bank, let's, let's not forget the central bank is for the whole of the Eurozone, it's not just for Germany, and it sets its rates based on overall Eurozone effects, not just German inflation. And it may be that Germany, a country which has traditionally had lower inflation than others, will be more adversely affected by the central bank decisions than a country with high inflation. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Fraser, earlier you mentioned about the Ukraine uh, you know, factor of course, you know, there are, there are you know, concerns about imports of agricultural products from Ukraine, especially in the Euro Eastern European countries. But also, you know, the protesters, German farmers, they also express the concern of like, oh, you are spending money, uh, you know, to support Ukraine. I mean, we know the crisis will continue and we don't see the end of it uh, yet. Uh, so how big a fact is that, you know, people say, oh, uh, the Ukraine crisis is a uh, is, you know, that's what, what would you call it, like a fatigue of supporting Ukraine there? It's not <clears throat> too difficult for Germany. I mean, all the major political parties are in favor of continued support for Ukraine. And today, Chancellor Schultz and a number of other European leaders published a letter in the Financial Times saying we must continue this support. And President Macron made the same thing in a speech yesterday in Stockholm. So politically, and um, the will to go on to support Ukraine is there. Amongst the population, there is a certain fatigue on both sides of the Atlantic, in fact, and this is a factor that politicians have to take into account. But ultimately, Germany and others know that there is no alternative but to support Ukraine in its struggle against Russia, because allowing Russia to sort of win in Ukraine, take over you know, a chunk of a sovereign country is simply unacceptable. So I think for the moment, you know, politically and economically, Germany and others will find the resources, despite the opposition of some countries like Hungary, to ensure there is adequate support for Ukraine. But it will not be easy.
mm -hmm. would not be zero. Okay, that's uh, let's say a factor from outside. It seems the, the challenges or problems are mostly uh, domestic, uh, you know, uh, like oriented. Uh, speak of that, Fraser. If you look at this, um, there's, a, there's a survey. You know, uh, well, uh, more than halfway through its four-year term. It, you know, the survey found out, uh, like, uh, you know, 82% of German voters are less than happy or not at all happy with the performance of the Scholz government and the divided uh, coalition, you know, with, uh, uh, with the Greens and also new liberal FDP. Um, what are they are not happy with? Well, they're not happy, obviously, with the decline in their standard of living. But this is not just affecting Germany, I would say, probably in every country in Europe, there's not a, a positive rating for the government because all the governments are struggling to deal with the sort of impact of the global issues which we mentioned earlier. And of course, trying to ensure your voters appreciate that there are many issues that the government can't control. And it's a very difficult message to get across. They have been used for many years to see the standard of living steadily increase. And when this comes to a stop or even reverses, then obviously they take it out in the government and they don't listen very much to any mitigating factors. So politically, it's a very difficult situation for practically all governments in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, Ian, you wanted to jump in? Yes, there's, a, there's an additional factor in Germany, which is you, you're quoting an aggregate poll. But I think you also have to recognise the original differences in Germany. And Germany being a federal state with very strong regional or what we call land level governments, you can see big differences and the support for the, the right wing insurgent party called Alternative for Germany, Alternativa for Deutschland, is above all in the, the old states of what used to be East Germany. But you see other new parties coming in who, who are trying to exploit this unhappiness with the, the core government. And don't forget, as we said, said earlier, the core government is a very strange coalition known as the traffic light because it has colours representing very different segments of, of the German political system. So this, this regional dimension is important in Germany and it also ties in with a much longer term effect on Germany which is that of uh, ageing of the population. Germany is one of the more rapidly ageing populations in Europe. That implies future public expenditure to service that older population at the same time as Germany is, has promised to try to increase its uh, share of spending, share of GDP spent on defence, taking it from just over 1% to 2%. So all of these things come together to make the, the, the public finance puzzle that more difficult for Germany to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, well, now we have uh, Helga on the line. Helga, so we see the rise of uh, AFD, the right-wing party. You know, the Chancellor Scholz expressed a concern about that. Now, how big uh, a challenge is that? And how big uh, a threat, let's say, uh, people are feeling from the rise of this uh, right-wing uh, ideology? Well, it's uh, mixed because obviously within the AFD, there are some very problematic uh, people in it who are uh, even fascist. You can call them fascist um, by a court decision. But the majority of the people voting for the AfD do that because of a general dissatisfaction with the government policy that the exit from nuclear energy left Germany without secure energy supplies, that money is given for weapons to Ukraine and now to Israel which is lacking for infrastructure, uh, schools, health system. 
So there is a variety of reasons why people <clears throat> are voting for the AfD. But I would like to point out one thing which I think is extremely important, especially for people abroad, to recognize that, you know, the, the real protest against the government policy is what the farmers have demonstrated in the last uh, weeks, you know, with 100,000 tractors in, uh, all over Germany blocking highways, expressing their uh, moral dissatisfaction that they just want the money which allows them to produce food for the entire population. They are not trying to make riches like speculators. They are just providing nourishment for the entire population. So it's a very legitimate uh, demand. Uh, now, this is mixed, and this is very difficult for people abroad to understand. But there was this so-called uh, secret meeting in Potsdam where supposedly some AfD and other right-wing uh, people were uh, planning a, what, what, what was called by the media deportation of migrants. This was completely, uh, I think this is really a, a very ominous operation because the journalists received apparently that from the internal secret service of Germany and then kept it quiet for six weeks. And only after the farmers had this huge demonstration with 100,000 tractors on Monday and then the whole week and then culminating in a big uh, demonstration in Berlin one week later, and it's still going on, mm -hmm. only two days later, that story about this so-called right-wing uh, plot was uh, published by the mainstream media, and the mainstream media are now publishing in great detail the place of the so-called anti-right demonstration, so that it's, it's an F everybody. There are now more and more people uh, are suspecting that this is an effort by the government to detract from the rightful protest of the farmers. And even the farmers are now saying that themselves. And I think this is, uh, rather than, you know, changing the policy, you know, <clears throat> which is it, also one has to be uh, aware of the fact that if this is not even the prices uh, made by the government or even the EU commission, these are prices made by the international cartels. Mm -hmm. and okay. The farmers uh, I want to, uh, Fraser, you know, your response, like, um, is it a real crisis, a real challenge uh, in the rise of the, you know, AFD, for example, or we are seeing a real threat from the uh, extreme right ideology? Well, it is a threat, but I wouldn't exaggerate it. I mean, there was huge, massive counter demonstrations in Berlin and other cities across Germany over the last week. So I think the AFD support is regional, as uh, Ian suggested, and of course, the Overall, in Europe, you know, you see a, a steady rise of the far right, but they're not in the process of taking over in the near future any government um, across Europe. So I think we have to see it in perspective. It's a worry. <clears throat> the reasons for it are well known because of the economic difficulties. But I think, you know, politicians are aware of the threat and are taking measures to counter it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, uh, in a related story, of course, is, uh, you know, Germany's uh, nominal GDP uh, is reportedly surpassing that of Japan in 2023. Uh, how is that happening? Uh, tell us. Well, Japan has been through three decades of relatively low growth and is therefore not surprising that uh, its GDP 
tends to fall vis-a-vis -vis other countries. Japan, too, is a country facing a, a big demographic Im impact, where the population of, of Japan is, is forecast to fall by tens of millions over the next 30 or 40 years. So it's, it's not unusual. But the big question I put to you is, so what? Who cares what nominal GDP is? Because that's just a, a figure in reflecting both exchange rates and other things. And the, as you may know, the, the yen is at a pretty well a, an all-time low at the moment because of the, the devaluation it's seen over the, the, the last uh, few quarters. It's great for me because I'm going to Japan in ne next month. So I'll be able to spend for it very freely. So nominal GDP doesn't tell you all that much. What you should really concentrate on is the disposable income and spending power of the, the populations. And there, Japan, I think you, you'll find, is still reasonably comfortable despite its decades of, of low growth. Mm -hmm. uh, well, let's take a look at the you know, external uh, possible or potential uh, external uh, impact. Uh, Ian, for example, you know, uh, there's talk of like, de-risking the policies you know, to screen investment from China or investment to China or export to China. Uh, you know, given these challenges in Germany and other European countries, do you think um, you know, economic challenge will somehow prompt the German government or the EU uh, to recalibrate its relationship with China or its China policy? Well, it's not, it's not just China, it's also with the US because of the, the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act. I think both China and the US have very substantial policies to try to anticipate the, the new industries that, that they want for the future and the new basis for their economy, new, new economic models almost. At European level, it's very hard to get agreement on it. And as we will see later this week when the European Council meets, you, which is the, the heads of state, what's likely to happen is that they'll have another dispute about changing the amount of money they want to invest in new technologies. They, they've already sliced it below the proposals that were first put forward. And that's going to be another kind of uh, uh, horse trading going on among countries. Do I get a bit? Do you get a bit? And the collective effect is that the European response to the I won't call it threat, I'll call it the challenge from, from China or the US, is incoherent. Mm -hmm. And that affects Germany just as it does other, other countries of the European Union. Yeah, challenges from outside. Uh, so, Fraser, uh, if, you, if you take a look, of course, you know, this is the election year for the US, and there, you know, at least so far, uh, it appears there's a real prospect for Donald Trump to come back to the White House. I mean, how is that? Uh, viewed or, you know, uh, taken in Germany or in the European in general? Well, the vast majority of politicians obviously do not want to see Trump back in the White House. I mean, he does have some support in Europe. I mean, Orban is a strong supporter. He's also support in Italy and some other countries. But, you know, the American voters have to decide and Europe will have to live with it. I mean, in some areas, um, for example, Trump saying to Europe, you have to do more in terms of your own defense, he was quite right. And this is something that Democrats have been saying as well. So we have to accept the outcome be more difficult, I think, for Europe to work with Trump. But that's unfortunately the price of democracy. So we'll have to see. Well, with that, we come to the end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CGTN app on YouTube. Thank you for being with us. I'm Xu Qinduo. See you next time.